This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 242, A Glossary to Twilight Imperium. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. So here's an update. The uh, the community game is over. Yeah. They finished. They finished the community we game. We finished. Well, I was we not finished. Ta- yeah, you were taking so much uh, part in it, right? You were very active. Hey, over there. I took a big part in it. Were this you? is what I would do. So I was on the Mentac team. Uh huh. And every couple days, I would message the channel <laughs> to ask, are we winning? <laughs> and they said we were every uh-huh. time. Well, every time darn. my team was like, yeah. we're winning. Don't worry. We got this. And then we did not win. Yeah. Spoilers. Uh, yeah. So I feel like we haven't actually properly like explained what the community game is. And because that there's is a the, possible episode about it a on the Galactic Council. And at this point, extremely likely episode about it. Uh, so just to further Seems introduce like that. Uh, some folks, Bort and some other folks, Philroy and them started a Discord server where everyone gets broken up into different factions, six of yeah. them at the table. Big teams. Big teams. And it's as like a coalition, yeah, as a coalition, they play the faction uh, yeah. and play play an entire game of TI. And like Bort and I think Philroy like update the board state and sort of GM everything for everyone. But it's the kind of thing where the game is constantly running. And so you might pull off a slick play at noon your time, but then you go to bed that night and the Euros get on tomorrow, the next morning, but while you're still sleeping and they get up to some crazy stuff. And sometimes people are actively trolling your own faction and doing like weird things. But it's basically what if a group of people were all trying to play a faction at once and not necessarily always working together, but somewhat trying to. I mean, there's like secret channels that everyone sort of try to coalesces around a strategy but yeah that's what so so hopefully and what seems like will definitely be the case is an upcoming galactic council episode will detail the exploits of that entire game and i'm very excited to hear how ridiculous everything got when uh not one brain is in control (laughs) basically yeah i really i really want to hear about it too because even though i participated um i didn't really yeah so I, I found I it extraordinarily know. hard to follow and i think that was part of the beauty of it is it was so hard to follow that i think people even playing it would have ha- be forced to tune out of so many like you might miss an entire round you know what i mean you if you if you have like a busy weekend you miss right. all of round three and it's way too much text everyone knows how discord is sometimes you just log on and it's like whoa i'm not caught up on this conversation might as well skip it you might skip round three and then come in and be like all right, so who wants to do some debt meta? And that's like, oh, dude, it's way too late for debt meta, whatever, th- those kind of things. So I'm, I'm very interested to see what, how messy things got because there's just no way everybody was constantly aware of what was going on, and I right. definitely wasn't as an outside observer. So and I'm you excited didn't even to try. see. I you didn't even well, try to be aware I of did stuff. for a couple days, and it was actively a trolley atmosphere. It was nasty in there, and so I wonder if it ever yeah. calms down. <laughs> Yeah, they were pretty nasty as far as I could tell. Um, I only stuck to my team channel. I just want to talk to me, me mates, you know, <laughs> um, and they were super positive, mm-hmm. super positive. But I think they were lying to me as far as how we were doing in the game because we were not winning. And they just told me always that that we were winning. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I trust those people less. Um, <laughs> but, you know, overall, I think the experience was great. 
Um, one thing we got to cover before we get into the episode proper today mm-hmm. is I just want to take a little bit of time. I have seen some reactions to our episode from, I guess, two weeks ago now. Yeah. Um, the Codex 3 reveal. Um, some people did not like the April Fool's prankery aspect of it sure. in that some of the components were fake. Um, and that's fine. Hey, you're free to hate on yeah. whatever. We've that's... been through this before is what we should say. We oh, did yeah. a long time ago. Oh, yeah. We Don't did worry. a fake Yin Brotherhood guide that was 10 minutes long. And then two a day or two later released the real episode under like a different auspicious title. And that got some hate. That got some people very mad. But that's, listen, when you try to do an April Fool's joke, that's what you sign up for, you know? That's that's just how it goes. You you have to accept the your choice, and we accept our choice of uh, trying to pull a little mini prank. Right. Um, so for all those people that maybe um, did not pay attention to the Discord and to Twitter, which sure. maybe was like kind of a flaw in our approach, um, that the, the reveal of which components were fake um, was mostly, like the co- confirmation that is, yeah. um, was mostly online. Um, we're just going to confirm real quick what are the fake components um, from the Codex episode. So the first fake component is the Gamma Mama Omega, yeah. which read as follows. <laughs> you cannot produce ships, no ships, none, zip, zero. Yeah. I Instead, your ground forces have a move value of two and count as fighters for the purpose of space combat. That was a joke. Yeah, I, di- I didn't think we would have to clarify that, but also I don't think anybody... I hope nobody thought that was real, that that we would just negate the point of Exotrireme 2, that, like, you just don't get to have Exotrireme 1s or 2s anymore. But hey, I think I it's more... I mean, the point of the thing was, like, that that would obfuscate if anything was real, right? That one was so obviously fake that then you question everything, I guess. But, yeah, hopefully everyone recognized that that was not going to become a new strategy for Sardak. The other fake component was the action card confusing illegal text uh and uh that that one also a a very absurd approach although i will say basically what ended up happening is this is especially true if you were not an online person dane wanted to include those two because he had drafted up very very obviously fake versions of those two components that have that say things like that aren't real at all like with jokes inside of them uh and so we read them incorrectly on the show and then on twitter they were uh, very obviously fake. All right, so yeah, the, and those were the only two uh, fake components. Yep. Um, I don't think there was anything else that we joked about that um, was, I think there maybe was a light joke about there being some horse art oh, sure. uh, in for the Calaras. That uh, was that's re- not true. That was real. No, come no. on. No, I'm not, do, I don't do, I don't want to do jokes anymore. <laughs> um, so there is no horse art on the Calaris. Um and beyond that, everything that we announced in that episode was true. All right. Now, what are we doing today, Matt? Hey, welcome. It's a, yeah. it's a thing that is probably wildly long overdue, uh, but we drop a lot of terminology on the show. Some of it we've just made up ourselves. Some of it is, is stuff that uh, the community says. Some stuff we don't say, but you will see out there in discussions like on Reddit or the Discord or wherever. And we thought it would just be useful to sort of have a an episode that was just a glossary for everyone of all of those different terms and ideas. Yeah, so we're just going to define a bunch of stuff. This is a really good, maybe like beginner type yep. um, episode. Uh, we find that, you know, maybe this won't be so much fun for uh, kind of more experienced uh, listeners, people that play a lot. Um, but we just felt like there's a lot of 
like random terms and words that have come into Twilight Imperium culture yep. that are not very well defined, I feel like, for new people. Um, they make sense. Everything we're going to talk about today has a pretty concrete meaning. Well, I, I will I'll probably call out at least two terms that don't make any sense, but that's okay. But yes, that's the rest fine. are pretty good. <laughs> the rest are pretty good. Um, so our goal today is just to clarify for people and to make sure that, you know, we're kind of all on the same page. Um, as we've been streaming the tournament games, I've noticed a lot of newer players kind of like coming into that zone. And then there are things that they don't understand. And yeah, it would just be good to spell that out for everybody. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start with some trade terms. Uh, yeah. we ha we've kind of divided all the terms up into different kind of subcategories. The subcategories are not perfect. Um, this first group we want to talk about is trading. And our first term is the word wash yes. or washing yeah. or wash me. <laughs> wash I'm dirty. me, daddy. Yeah, uh, wash me, so daddy. When you wash your friend, uh, you engage <laughs> your in dirty, a dirty <laughs> friend. When your dirty friend requests a wash, <laughs> what are they asking for? Uh, so what is the thing you're washing? What's the dirty part? Let's I start think, with the dirty part. I think this one gets uh, maybe sometimes also muddled because sometimes people mean a different thing with wash. So I want to put down like a line in the sand that a wash is explicitly when you want exactly your commodity value worth of trade goods when you yeah, want to wash that is what it is you want a free back scratch you want someone to just give you four trade goods for your four commodities and well, depending on the you're context washing each other right sometimes, sometimes you're, you're washing each other so let's explain the logic of why did we choose that word though uh because i i feel like if we define it the way that you're kind of wanting to go here yeah the word maybe won't hit so good so the idea is you have your commodities yep. they're sitting in your commodity area flipping them over to make them trade goods uh, would be the act of washing right now you can't just flip your own your own commodities you have to have someone wash them for you um, a lot of times that could mean you both have commodities and you're doing a like let's say you're both two commodity value factions you do a two for two yep. you're washing each other but oftentimes when we use the word wash it's actually a situation where the other player has trade goods and you have commodities and you're requesting this as a favor yes. hey as a favor will you trade the exact number of trade goods you have for my exact commodity value, so you basically lose nothing, but I get to flip my commodities right. into trade goods. You that's lose nothing, but you gain nothing too, and that's the key to to that theory, and that's what leads into the other term that gets thrown a lot around in all of this, which is the idea of an X minus one. So understanding wash is critical to understanding an X minus one, because when Hunter and I both have two commodities, we just wash each other, and we both gain two, great. But in the situation Hunter described where one person has trade goods and the other person has commodities, then what I can do instead to make it worth my while is offer them their commodity value minus one. So they give me all four of their commodities and I give them three trade goods in return so that I've made a dollar off of the transaction and they still made close to their amount of money and this has become an extremely standard thing for the person holding trade to do and offer to the whole table because trade usually has a ton of trade goods on their mat and they can basically try to work with everybody to just get everyone money so x minus ones get thrown out all over the table so that trade gets a little bit and everybody just gets their money done out of the way all right well now that we have x minus one just down pat i mean right yeah we get it easy. yeah easy easy peasy <laughs> we should talk about what is a refresh or 
more importantly, a free refresh. Yeah. Yeah, getting into all this stuff go. becomes so much of this shorthand just becomes trying to make the act of of using the trade strategy card go as fast as possible. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I think refresh is worth pointing out because uh, it's not called refreshing, but everybody says refresh. It's replenish. Right. It's replenish your commodities. And everybody quickly says refresh. And if you're kind of like not clued into all that, you would easily miss it. But the free refresh, like Hunter noted, is like the most important aspect out of this, which is like in terms of some other payment and without the assumption that you're going to immediately do something with my commodities, which the X minus yeah. one assumes, right? The refresh is just like, just flip, just give me my commodities. Let me replenish my commodities so that I can work out my own deals elsewhere or whatever. And the free refresh is like kind of the bigger part of that. Yeah. So a free refresh is just, I would, I would imagine a lot of times that comes up as part of a transaction. You have some sort of deal with someone you're trying to sweeten the pot. So you give them a free refresh. Right. Um, obviously a free refresh is not really worth much if they don't have anyone else to trade with. Right. But a lot of times if you are doing a free refresh, they probably do. Um, a refresh is, I don't know, I guess we just have chosen the wrong word for that. Yeah. Um, we just do this wrong. Basically we say yeah, the wrong and, stuff. There's a lot of those in all of this. And also a lot of the time, nobody wants to spend the command token to, exactly. to replenish the trade goods. No, nobody, nobody wants to do that. Or right. to commodities, that is, not yeah. trade goods. This is especially um, true round one, when everyone's very tight. You have exactly two command tokens, and you want to do, like, warfare, construction, and or uh, technology, right? Two of those three right. are the things you want to do if sometimes diplomacy gets thrown in there. You can only do two things. So trade is just never what anybody wants to use the token for. Uh, so Right. So the, the, the free refresh comes up, too, in terms of, like, oh, I have politics. I could give you the speaker token, and you just give me a free refresh or whatever. Yeah. Th th those right. are types of deals you'll see. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good example, Matt. Um, the other thing about a free refresh is, uh, essentially, the we're about to talk about debt, um, debt tokens, and debt meta. Yeah. Um, most of the time, the X minus one, that minus one part, is your payment for right. the refresh. Exactly. That's how you should think about it most of the time. Right. Um is that you're owing whatever your commodity value is, you're owing that one so that you get that refresh so that you do not, because the alternative is you're going to spend a command token in order to get commodities, right. which is a pretty big loss in value. Giving up one yeah. uh, measly commodity uh, to someone else in order to not spend a command token, that's just good value. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no debate there. I think that's like right. basically set in stone. Now, there are situations where you would spend a command counter. Sure. Um, but I feel like those come up kind of very rarely. Yeah. But most of the time, if if it happens like in a tournament game, for example, uh, it's something that's always remarked upon. It's just like, wow, okay, we actually found a situation where it makes sense to send or yeah. it makes sense to spend the token. Yeah, yeah, and I think within all that too is we say X minus one, but like there's all don't don't forget there's people out there that sometimes will believe in or will like temporarily think it's worth doing an x minus two this is a yeah essentially like i've done x yeah, minus two this is yeah. especially relevant for powerful four commodity factions it's very common for jolnar to never be offered better than an x minus two because jolnar makes money hand over fist you don't need to mm. just let them get more money i'm just saying what's commonly i, out I would there. just would say opposite of what you're saying actually i would say most of the four commodity factions have difficulty if you were going to try and apply x minus two except for jolnar because jolnar can basically always make a good deal with you right 
Yeah. Well, so I, I, I mean, I think with Jolnar, that comes down to there's always other things Jolnar can offer. Like that, I'm I, I'm yeah, saying for exactly. an explicit X minus two. Yeah. So so from there, basically, what, what we're just talking about is the idea that if you're trying to like apply pressure to the table, sometimes it's an X minus one for the two and three commodity factions, and X minus twos for the four commodity factions or whatever. A lot of the times, though, X minus two is just a joke. Yeah. It's a it's a threat. That you're not you're not actually going to end up doing an X minus two, but it's helpful to start a negotiation <laughs> at X minus two right. with a four commodity faction, right? And then you know, with Soul, it's like that's how you get into military support um, right. or something like that. I yeah. don't know. The other stuff that all this leads to then is, and Hunter said it before. Now we get into debt meta, and and debt meta has become like sort of a title of like, oh, oh, we're getting into debt meta. You'll hear us say that on the mm-hmm. stream. Oh, here comes the debt meta. All it really is is the idea that round one, you can't be, you're very rarely neighbors with everyone, but you want to replenish everyone's commodities. So these right. X minus ones all become non-binding transactions. And on TTS, Tabletop Playground as well, we start to see the debt token taken into account, which is you grab one of those rectangle uh, control markers from the other faction and say, this is my IOU, right? I'm taking this token right. because you owe me a dollar later. I'm cool with you getting your money right now, but whenever we're neighbors or whenever we get to an agenda phase, that's when I want you to pay up. I want to get my money eventually. I don't need it round one or whatever, but I would like to be owed it later. Some people take these debt tokens and use those as payment for other things, right? Hey, instead of Sardak owing me a dollar, you can do what you, Mentak, can do something for me right now. Uh I'll give you Sardak's debt. It becomes a whole Uh mess. But the tokens become this like representation of the money that is owed. That's when we get into debt meta and when you just heard it from Hunter, we start groaning because that's when these players start doing crazy stuff. So you'll see that on streams of our games. We're like, "Uh uh-oh, we're getting into debt meta and it's because all of the deals are about to get incredibly difficult to follow. Yeah, or it's not even necessarily about how difficult they are to follow. It's more about how much is this game going to work just on faith alone uh-huh. as far as like the non-binding aspect of it. Um, debt is one of these things that we have invented kind of culturally uh, with uh, Twilight Imperium. In fact, the earliest player I remember doing this is uh, Mantis. Yes. Uh, but someone may have done it earlier than than him. I'm not sure. Um but yeah, the, the it's a token that you're trading around, but it's all non-binding. Right. So none of this like, owes anybody at anything. any point this can break down. <laughs> right. Like right. And so I think it's like the reason it causes a groan is I think just debt to one person uh is pretty non-binding, but at least it makes sense. If right. we're trading the debt around now I feel like the non-bindingness of it right. has gotten very strange. If you're gonna because, change, if you're gonna trade my debt away, I need to be consulted. Because what if I don't ever want to pay that other person a dollar? I didn't approve of right. your little deal in your relationship. And now who's like who is even gonna be mad at me if I don't? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. it's like this is now a third party. Uh, that I supposedly owe money to, but they didn't do anything for me directly. Right. right. So I can cor- sort of say like, no, like I, I will take the heat of breaking this non-binding <laughs> now that my debt has been sold. And like, how much heat even is that? The yeah. original person that did something for me now is paid. They're right. done. Right. Like they got something out of my debt. Why do I now owe the third party? It's like in real life, it's real life. Yeah, and in Twilight Imperium, it is just a board game. Right. So there's something about trading the debt around. <laughs> 
where the board game aspect of it, I really feel like comes over. right to the surface for me, where I'm yeah. just like, ah, but this is not, you know, <laughs> this is not like I'm not I'm not screwing you over in real life by not paying this right. debt third party wise. And I have expressed this to people before. There have been times when yeah. someone has been like, if I sell your debt, will you repay it? And I'm like, I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah. Like, I would probably need some sort of reason i don't have to do anything actually yeah so (laughs) yeah the problem is the debt was already kind of a nebulous thing (laughs) and now you're gonna take it to a whole new place i don't know yeah yeah um so to move on from that the other thing the this next term is something that i think is mostly just a thing we say on the show and in streams to uh sort of explain things i will very often say like and you need a couple bucks to do this when we talk in strategy guides about tech and the need for like a faction to have four bucks four dollars i i at least within my own heart and brain i use bucks and dollars to specifically represent any of the forms of currency because the whole issue is you have resources on planets you have influence on planets yeah you have trade goods that can work as both but can also sometimes be for an objective that explicitly needs trade goods and so for me dollars is a thing that is for all of that. When I need X dollars per round, that's to sort of quickly say to the listener or the viewer, like they're trying to acquire this much stuff uh, across the board. Uh, So that's a very common thing that I think people can can miss out on the definition of. I don't approve of this term and I don't think we should use it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or basically, I mean, Matt, you sort of just defined it like... As if that wasn't bad, but that all sounded bad to me. We shouldn't be saying things like bucks and dollars. <laughs> I think there be... are random moments when it's relevant, basically, because I don't Nah, it, it's it resources, influence, trade goods. Like we have to be specific. I can tell I you think, exactly where it things. started. I know exactly where it started. And it was with Arborek, because especially before POK, the whole thing was Ar- with Arborek was they needed seven resources they need they had they, mm-hmm. they had three resources at home they needed to be able to do tech they needed to do some like building or whatever but mostly like it's it's arborek and winu and so we started talking about like well they could do trade or they could do tech and in, in taking tech they don't have to spend the four resources so that represents four resources but like i just started saying four bucks they need they need seven yeah actually is this something everyone says or are you literally just saying like i say this so this I'm is saying now part you, of the we, you and i have both said it i'm sure i've said oh, it more I, than I've you never but said yes, you def- i oh, never said all right all right everybody never. everybody go I've through the backlog yeah okay sure oh yeah no oh do it do it do it <laughs> anyway dare you i'm i'm including in here because it needs to for people who listen to the show that might get lost uh, i i think it's important so we can move on though yeah. uh the next if you one say that though you shouldn't you shouldn't say bucks dollars you shouldn't I, I still think there's moments when it's relevant. Regardless, the other thing that is outdated today, but if you're playing with just base game and you're listening to old episodes, we used to refer to a thing called Magi Math, which is also uh, known as 2R equals 3I. That's the idea that the economy of base game can loosely be balanced out to think that two resources is the same to you as three influence. There are plenty of people who will debate this for the uh, rest of time. But the rough idea is if you have a 2-3 planet, a planet that is worth 2 resources and 3 influence, you might spend that on a token and you might spend that for the resources and either one feels 
kind of fine and the and the same roughly. I think nowadays we are much more desperate for tokens and we think influence is significantly more important than we used to, but you will hear us talk about 2R equals 3I a lot in old streams and old episodes. Yeah. And yeah, I would I, I would yeah, I would say this one is outdated and yeah. that we probably don't need to talk about it in this no. in this way anymore. Right. It's it's been retired yeah, with we, BOK. We, we don't think, honestly, Magi himself has said I, th that's not how I think about the money at all anymore, so. Yeah. Um, okay, the next term is just kind of a slang term that we use for a certain type of player. Um, a We've referred to many, I, I believe the first player we called this was Schroeder. Yeah. Um, a used car salesman is a player that kind of tries to, to sell a deal and does maybe a good job of selling a deal that isn't actually good, but they sell it in such a way as to where the other players buy into it. Um, we would call this used car salesman style tactics yeah. or whatever. Um, you're basically trying to sell a junker um, as if it's a, a brand new car that's gonna that's got another two hundred thousand miles yeah. in it. Um, <laughs> right. This one's pretty yeah, self-explanatory in terms of if I mean if you've ever met a used car salesman, I think you know what we're talking about there. But oh yeah, there's a few players that we explicitly yeah refer to as used car salesmen because that's their whole style. It's kind of a whole form of playing, which is like I'm always working on a deal. I'm always trying to upsell something, and and you just see that vibe permeate throughout an entire game basically yeah what are some other notable players that kind of utilize used car salesman tactics i would say in a way teddy has kind of translated it into a slightly different thing yeah humble which is kind i would of, say humble checkmate is a used car salesman uh, yeah in some ways honestly, there are other things humble's doing schroeder is the cliche used car salesman because that oh, was yeah, exactly yeah. his style is just yeah, that's, i'm just always trying to make a buck off of something <laughs> That's a clean definition of, of what it is that Schroeder goes after. Um, but yeah, I think the style has like kind of become a, a it's I feel like it's a very predominantly American style of yeah. play. Yeah. Um, and not to say that there are no Euros that embrace in this kind of thing, but uh, it it feels like there are more American examples that come to mind because yeah. uh, I'm actually trying to think of a Euro example and <laughs> I can't. I, nothing's coming <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of that way of like always trying to make the sale and always trying to kind of upsell yeah. your opponent or sell them something that maybe isn't as good as you're making it sound. Or even just lying can be used yeah. car salesman like <laughs> just in general, you know. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the last like trade related term we have here is barely trade related. Uh, and we did a recent episode about objectives where we further defined this. Uh, so if you want like more uh, things on like objective definitions. We refer to spendies uh, in in this way. Spendies are the objectives that most of them will explicitly say spend whatever the thing is. Spend five yeah. trade goods. Spend eight resources right. or whatever. Uh, I also very often think of spend three command counters or six command counters as a spendy uh you've had to invest oh, yeah. in that thing so yeah. all of those spends uh, that's it's pretty self-explanatory there but uh very often you know people are working on these deals and trade negotiations so that they can get themselves to accomplish a spendy uh, and that's how yeah. that usually goes yeah i i agree um so the next section that we want to go into is uh, components yeah these are more like the actual pieces in the game this will uh, go fast because these are not defining concepts these are literally just you're gonna hear us throw out terms all the time and we would just yeah. like to clarify what those terms are <laughs> yeah what those mean and why you know yeah why why was that selected or whatever yeah. um the first one is really interesting uh nra <laughs> 
um, is a yeah. term we throw around a lot, which really just means Nasroka Alliance, yeah. the faction. Yeah. It does not mean National Rifle Association. No, definitely not in fact. this, uh, it in, this one. in fact, I can't think of a faction that is maybe less National Rifle Association than the Nasroka <laughs> Alliance, like in terms of lore and everything. Yeah, they, they're legitimately they are... an alliance, you know, like... <laughs> Uh, the next one is the A hole, the B hole. There's all the yeah. okay. We've all heard the jokes, but alpha uh, and beta it, wormhole. It's wormholes. It's just wormholes out there. It's funny that we don't do the D hole yeah. and the G hole. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> what on earth would a G hole be? Anyways, next well, it's the gamma. Sure, it's the well, gamma. It is. Wormhole. Yeah, it sure yeah. is a gamma. Uh, there's also AC. That's action card. You'll see that more. You won't hear us say AC very often, but you'll see it on discords and stuff. The AC is an action card of any kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not air conditioning the bi the big one uh that you'll hear us say all the time is gamma mama our sweet uh heavenly or mother just gamma just a gamma. lot of times we'll just say gamma yeah yeah and and that is a reference to gom Secus, the uh sardak commander yep um and i want to make sure i'm pretty sure no wait i'm like 100 percent sure um and i feel like i've messed this up in the past gamma mama is Root's idea. Root, a.k.a. Yeah. Alec, right. um, who is a, a co-streamer and, and a contributor to this podcast. Yep. That was where that, that it was coined on a, Alec, on a stream, stream that yeah. the two of us were doing, and it, and it was Root's idea. So I just want to give full credit to Root totally. for that. Gama Mama is Root's baby. Yep, um, yep. Gama Mama. of course, being brought up so often, too, because it is that commander that lets you... Uh, move infantry without having ships to, to move them so it's like oh, yeah, one of yeah. the more impactful commanders on the game and a lot of hype and it really helped like crank sardak up a notch in terms of like excitement level people totally. want to play them and totally. so yeah she she defined a lot for sardak uh yeah. the next one i think is the funniest uh which is uh you know we say tokens all the time but more explicitly you'll see online ccs as an abbreviation the problem with ccs is uh, CCs stands for command tokens, not, uh, not, not the same thing. <laughs> it, it, they right. used to be called. Here's what. Here's where this comes from. In Twilight Imperium Third Edition, and and maybe even before then. Probably well, well, before hold then. up. What what piece are we talking about? The, We're talking triangle. About the triangle. We're talking about yeah, the triangle the shape, triangles that you have. The, the command you used to activate the yep. the primary unit that you right. interact with in These Twilight Imperium. Used to be called command counters. Yeah, um, but they sort of cleaned up some language basically in fourth edition and they became command tokens, but most of the TI fan base still refers to them as CCs. So hopefully that hasn't confused too many people over time, but I think it often has. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one is Sling Ray. Um, this is just uh, a shortening. Uh, well, wait, is it a shortening? It's 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 sling... one. It's two letters less than the yeah. <laughs> original. So it's Sling Relay. Okay. <laughs> it's a shortening of that, and it's just more fun to call it Sling Ray. Yeah. Um, this came from there was a period of time where the Discord was really focused on manta rays. Yeah. And there was some request that we call it Sling Ray. Right. And now I clearly, I mean, I had to remember yeah, why. Why that even um, It's become pretty common parlance as far as we're concerned to call it Sling Ray. And I think other people call it Sling Ray as well. I also just think that sounds better, but maybe it's less descriptive. So we're referring not, to the yeah. level one blue tech Sling Relay yes. when we say Sling Ray. Right. Uh, next up is Junior. Uh, this one is much easier to miss. Junior is the agent... That is a relic that came with Codex number two, 
when, mm-hmm. when three new relics were introduced into the relic deck. And we call it Junior because it's actually just a long string. It's a robot. The agent is this, uh, what, a Titan or something? A former Titan? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's this robot that the text starts J-R, and then it's like a whole right. mess of things. But as a shorthand, we just call him Junior because it's too hard to remember anything else uh, to, for, for what that thing's name would be. Yeah, I almost feel like that was the intention with the uh, with so. the name too. Is yeah. like a, the string of letters. I feel like was just meant to give you that that for the first two JR. Mm-hmm. Like, just seems like the right way to go. Um, the next one is RA, um, which is really simple. It just stands for Research Agreement, which is of course the Jolnar faction promissory note. Yep. Um, easily the most popular faction promissory note in the game, and probably the most important, the one that defines I think Jolnar's trade game. Yeah. Uh, and if anything has made Jolnar more important uh, over t- over time has been RA. Yeah. I feel like it's just, it, it's out of control right. at this point. This is the one you really want to know if you are hopping onto like your first game online on Tabletop Playground mm-hmm. or something, and you're getting into a lot of whispers for trade negotiations and right. stuff. Yeah. And someone's just yeah. like, well, I can sell you RA. And like, whoa, hang on, what are we even talking about? So yeah, RA. Yeah, what is RA? Uh, the next agreement. one, similar to that, is Fires. Uh, this is mm-hmm. the Muat promissory note, Fires of the Gashlai. This is where they give you the promissory note and you can activate it to remove one of their command tokens from fleet supply and you gain the War Sun technology. So uh, right. not sold nearly as often as RA, but you will see Fires asked for for like a big monumental deal or whatever. Yeah, there was a period there where I was buying it every single time I was in a game with yeah. uh, with Muat. It was very strange. It just kept come landing in my in my hands i would play imperial it's when i was playing imperian a lot oh right i was playing imperian a lot and if muat was around i was able to buy to it because of course i was um <laughs> so the next component up is bam uh which is uh b-a-m which just stands for become a martyr yep. um the most popular secret objective the flashiest the silliest <laughs> the goofiest yeah uh the, the the fun time that matt loves matt's favorite yeah. secret objective added in pok Yeehaw. is of course become a martyr yeah, this one, people, the, man, we had a moment, there was a moment in time last year where, like, the first two or maybe even three games of the tournament were won off of BAM. Like, they, yeah. like someone scored a come in the martyr of the win, which, before that tournament, I'd been like, no one's ever going to use that to win the game. It's, like, impossible to win the game with that, and there was immediately egg on my face. So, uh, you know, right. that was the fun history of that stupid thing. Uh, the next one is... Pretty easy. It's just candy. You'll hear people go, ooh, a piece of candy. This is a what? This is like a freaking, I think it's a Family Guy reference, right? I I'm not know. sure. Some, I, I know it's some I like Kaluan, cartoon. Kaluan, I think, was the first person I heard that would call the Relic Fragments candy. Um, but now it does feel like it's uh, become kind of common parlance just because it feels like candy because you just find it. Well, they look like know, a little pop like rock, too. The little the actual like art on the card looks like a little that's pop true. rock. So and they're different colors. Yeah, it looks like candy. Yep. Yeah, that's all. Relic fragments. Uh, the next two are hilarious to me um, because they're both called pop. There's two pops in the game that we need to be aware. Well, of. Well, there's pop and there's P.O.P. There's pop that's and there's I would. pop, pop, there's P.O.P. P.O.P. Pop. You'll see it, capital P, lowercase o, capital P, is promise of protection, the Mentac promissory note. Something that yeah. they very, someone wants to try to buy uh, in every Mentac game, seemingly. There's always someone tr- really trying to get a hold of pop because then they don't get pillaged right. for the rest of the game. The other pop, which you'll see s- said out loud more often, is 
just using of a component uh popping right. your strategy card is like the most thing i'm gonna pop tech everybody yeah. cool with me popping tech right now is everyone cool with me popping this um but you'll see it used for like action cards or random other stuff but mostly it's in reference to a strategy card but those two different pops uh can i don't know somehow get confused why not let's define yeah. it anyways we're here defining like, things let's get in the weeds basically is what i'm doing today sure. yeah, yeah yeah i mean that's the point of this episode uh, for me, uh, I use the word pop a lot whenever uh, I have the trade strategy card and I act because I actually like to buy people's trade agreements and right. then pop all of them. Uh, it's funny because I've been talking about how I do this for a while. And one thing that I've noticed is that nobody else is doing it. <laughs> Everyone else is like looking at this being like, God, Hunter takes forever on the trade is like what, what I think of it. Um, but I take forever, but I don't get confused, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. And also because my whole my whole issue with trade uh, real quick and the reason I like to do the trade agreements is because I find very often you go around the whole table and you could just automate it, right? And you know how much trade, how many trade goods you're going to end up with. Yeah. Of course, we can all count. It's it's three plus your commodity value plus one for Everybody. you know each player right. in excess of that. Yeah, uh, it's easy to figure out how many you should end up with. However, if you go one at a time and buy the components. And if somebody tries to throw in something extra or if, if there's any alterations to deals, you don't get confused. That's what yeah. I hate. Yeah, it I throws hate just everything if I'm gonna off do, if, mm -hmm. you, if one and, number gets messed up. But see, in a weird way, I want the deals to get more sure. specific. X minus ones across the table is really boring. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And I would love to make more out of that or get something else or, you know, whatever. I just need my I just want to make sure that I don't get, you know, confused at the end as to how many trade goods I'm supposed to have. Totally. So, yeah, that's totally. why I do it that way. Okay, our next category here is what I've labeled as like strategies or plays. This is stuff yeah. you'll see more often than anything just on like the Discord when people are talking about stuff or maybe like uh, stuff in people giving like plays of the week or whatever or talking about different things. So these, these are various strategies that you might employ, um, especially if you're being given advice. If you've hopped onto a Discord and asked for advice on like how to play X Faction and someone might start just explaining things to you and using any of these various terminologies. Uh, the first one relates to the Clan of Sar. This is one that has fallen really out of favor. Like I don't feel like we've seen this play in a very long time. Yeah, I wonder why too. Yeah. I'm not really sure why why we wouldn't see this yeah it, that much anymore. i think people are just better about using uh i was about to use a term and we'll get into that too people gum more often we'll explain yeah. gum in just right. a minute but people gum more often which makes stealth bombers not work so we're talking about stealth bombers right uh, and so this is the clanisar strategy where there's an idea here that the clanisar space dock counts as a ship during movement and only during movement right. and uh pds fire space cannon offense is immediately after movement so you fire at ships after movement well after movement the clan of Sar space dock stops being a ship which means it right. can't be fired upon you can't shoot any pds shots at a clan of Sar space dock so if that clan of Sar space dock goes into an empty system of yours, empty space, uh, the empty space of a system, I should say. Let's say you have a planet on the ground and you have PDS on that planet, but you have no ships above it. A Clanistar right. space dock can activate and move in there with infantry. None of those things are ships. You don't get to fire PDS, and then Clanistar gets to announce an invasion and go down to the planet. And you didn't get to do anything about it. Your PDS was rendered useless because right. the space dock came alone. 
Right. And it's not, I mean, it's a ship when it's moving, not, not when it, when you get to that step, when the PDS would fire, it's no longer a ship. So yeah. there's nothing to shoot at. So yeah, that's how the, that's basically how the stealth bomber works. But yeah, this doesn't come up very much because most of the time uh, it's become just really common knowledge to like, you always leave a ship above your stuff. Yeah. Like you ever, every, especially, I mean, I religiously play this way. There's always, yeah. I always want there to be a ship above every, every single space. thing that I own. Right. You know, it, even if it's just a fighter, it, there's gotta be something there so yeah. that plays like this cannot happen right yeah yeah because this doesn't only just block stealth bombers i mean this blocks people just trying to get away with stuff you don't want them to get away with so yeah it, <laughs> it blocks everything from stealth bombers to like the l1 hero yeah. basically has to have empty space there's a lot of stuff that calls for empty space right in order for it to happen and so if you just keep all your space gummed yeah uh, which maybe we should define we'll just gum define right, right now. now. Yeah, I'm yeah. moving it up in the list. Gum is the act of putting a ship in a space. Very often, it is a destroyer, or for the people that get fighter two tech, where their fighters can exist on their own. Sometimes people will just throw a fighter there. The idea being like, I don't need a whole big fleet here. I want to invest as little money as possible, but even a single ship stops someone right. from moving two spaces into my home system or whatever. Until yes. people get light wave, and I mean, a lot of people get light wave these days, that then gum becomes useless. But gum is gumming up the work gumming up your own yeah. works is putting a, a ship in every single tile in your relevant airspace right what what i like though is that so yes there is the point that after light wave gum ha isn't as successful in just stopping people from getting to your you know more vulnerable areas like your home system um however it still blocks like some like those plays we just listed right. as far as uh, you know you can't stealth bomb. i mean even if you have light wave it doesn't matter as long as there's a ship above something there's no stealth bombing happening right. um or at least i mean they can send the space dock but then it just blows up <laughs> right. uh, which is foolish right uh you know l yeah everything that calls for empty space uh you know there's uh the ghost of Krius, uh promissory note is right. always a vulnerability unless you've got ships there in which right. case it's like okay uh, no one's gonna be able to throw a wormhole anywhere you know because i have my ships everywhere yeah. um so yeah light wave definitely changes the importance of gum but i think i think you should always gum yeah. always 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 here's the one other thing with gum though that you need to be aware of these days is the idea that there's now more objectives than ever that are like win a combat somewhere in, right. in, so like putting gum in that asteroid field can seem good but you've also made an incredibly opportune uh, an incredibly easy opportunity for someone to score the secret objective to win a combat in an anomaly so sure. sometimes you have to be aware of that sometimes your gum in specific spots needs to be a little bit weightier than just a single fighter or a single destroyer because you just have to consider what might come and attack that or whatever I you can't invest too much mental energy into that but like you should be aware that sometimes uh, your gum is a very easy target for someone that wants to score something. It's true. Um, I will say this. I, I have a pretty simple method for this. The nebulas, you don't have to gum yeah. because they can't, can't go, go through. through. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so you should never leave gum in nebulas, in my opinion. It's right. just kind of silly um, because it's like, well, you're missing the point of the whole, which sucks whenever you go to Evera because that means you send ships there. Right. And then you're like, well, I guess these ships need to go somewhere else. And sometimes they don't have a good place to go. <laughs> so I'm not saying this is always, oh, Wow, I can't believe anyone would leave a ship in a nebula. Um, gravity rifts are just kind of an unfortunate, like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to have to gum this because it's a gravity rift. Right. So not only is it, well, okay, you could gum the other side of a gravity right. rift. And that's all fine. around it, but that's a lot to ask. Sometimes it's like, I have to gum three systems just to gum this gravity rift, or I could just gum the gravity rift, but then, yeah, you're leaving the opportunity for someone to to do that comment. But you know what? Sometimes you have to just do that. Yeah. And so and I would say the the worst one is the asteroid field with the alpha wormhole yeah. in it. Um, I will 
if that is in my slice, um, and I, especially if I start with anti-mass, I'm definitely gumming it. There's no way I'm not. Yep. Um, but I might even be like, well, I'm gonna have to get anti-mass and gum this now, uh, which just, you know, is not great, uh, depending on where it is. Uh, if it's right next to the home system, it's like, yeah, I, I have to do something about this. And that just means, yeah, you're going to give up. Sometimes you have to give up Brave the Void to somebody, yep. you know, right. it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. Uh, so the next thing, the next concept here is, uh, what we call Hollywooding. This one's fairly self-explanatory. It's more than anything. Uh, it's just another word for lying. <laughs> it's when someone's lying about their stuff. It's especially when someone's trying to, um, I mean, the biggest example of this would be like, I can't score my secrets when you definitely can. Um, but like making a big show out of it too, or whatever. I think that's the bigger thing. There, there's lying. And then Hollywooding is like kind of a whole different thing. Sometimes too, Hollywooding is like, you draw that new secret and you go, oh, God, come on. Oh, fine. And like, right. it was actually a great, it's a great secret for you to have drawn or whatever. You're acting. That's why it's Hollywood. Because you're acting. acting it out. You're, yeah. you're putting on the performance to get people to, to leave you alone so that you can uh, win the board game. It's funny. I thought you would mention the, it, it's a poker term, isn't it, Matt? Oh, yeah. I it, it was from poker yeah. that we got this. Yeah. 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 Hollywood um, gets used in poker be, for exactly those reasons. You get it. You get a weird draw. You sort of make a big show i mean show of you it. can yeah hollywooding is a weird thing because it's like uh, most people are bad at it and everyone can see right through it but then there's like the double bluff hollywooding you know what i mean where you like hollywood so the people are like well he's hollywooding so obviously he's lying and it you know it's it's the soul the princess bride double fake out kind of thing i don't yeah. know this yeah. one goes too deep people just end up throwing this term around like completely absent-mindedly just like everyone's hollywood you're hollywood and you're hollywood like it just becomes like an accusation that everybody puts on everybody else all the time I like to Hollywood sometimes. Yeah. I do a little bit of Hollywooding in my in my stream games. I like to I like to pretend I'm uh feeling stuff when I'm actually just like plotting essentially. Yeah, sure. Um that's fun. Right. Uh but yeah, I would say it's it's definitely the type of behavior that is mo probably most fun in a tournament game yeah. and that maybe isn't so good to do in a casual yeah, game. Yeah, with your friends. Um yeah, but yeah. I don't know. It's it's an interesting aspect of the game that we could do an entire episode on, and maybe we should in the future. Right. Hollywooding, we should just talk about it. Right. Next up is the Infinity Gauntlet. This is a reference to Marvel and the uh -huh. Gauntlet of Thanos. The superhero the stuff. The superhero you know stuff. That. The idea of like, okay, you got like a, a glove with a bunch of different colors. Well, those different colors are other people's promissory notes, and Infinity Gauntlets are the idea that you've collected everyone else's ceasefire or everyone else's trade agreement or yeah. in some crazy scenario everyone else's support for the throne no way dude uh but regardless it's getting like all of one thing this is more a joke than anything else but it's it's one of those things that you'll see people freak out about when they when when someone has accomplished it in acquiring everyone else's and then they get to like reveal all five trade agreements when they pop trade and get like a ton of money or whatever they've they've done the infinity gauntlet hooray yeah, I remember Magi went through a phase of like really being all about this. buying. Well, no, not no, no, no. That makes it sound kind of sure. jokey. But uh, I just mean like overall, there was a phase of people being um, really excited about buying trade agreements in, and not even using them. Right. Like just buying Save them when it. you don't have trade so that whenever you get the trade strategy card, it's like you've sort of saved all this money up. It's actually a really good way to get around uh, economic equality. Mm-hmm. Because if I have everyone's trade agreement, that's a lot of potential money I have, but it's not actually money yet, right? right. So it can't be taken away uh, in economic equality right. or whatever. Um, 
So I don't know. It's it's a cool strategy. Lately, we've seen it where just trade just essentially just completely drops off in round four and round five yeah, as far as uh, it whether anymore. it's going to... It's basically only taken if there are, you know, some spendies out or something like yep. that. Yep. Um, but if they aren't, then you're, you may have bought a bunch of trade agreements that you're never going to get to spend without taking trade and maybe you don't want to. Right. Yeah. Uh, this next one is, for me, a, a relatively recent term in the qualifiers of this year's tournament... Uh, Big Al Cappuccino has been doing a ton of commentary, and this is his preferred reference to when someone does a support for the throne swap, or to a lesser extent, sometimes an alliance swap. But marriage is when the two of you come mm -hmm. to this agreement where you you have like a formalized, uh, you know, no way to attack each other. That's support swap. Support swapping is sort of the other term that is more uh, commonly used, uh, and that is just to say, I give you my support for the throne for your support for the throne. We both go up a point. Neither of us can attack each other because obviously a one-way support is a pretty dangerous thing you have a point but i can attack you with reckless abandon so the only way to protect that is for you to also give me a support for the throne so that neither of us can attack each other uh and in big al's world that's a wedding they have a wet they have a little ceremony on big al's streams and he he has like they the wine comes out and it's a marriage of the two of the two parties that's kind of hilarious because it's pretty um it's it's a pretty silly i think term for it because i mean if it is a marriage then i've been through a lot of divorces <laughs> exactly. um, i'm a very divorced man <laughs> if they are in fact marriages um so yeah um the next one we got is catfish uh which is a reference to a specific uh type of cooperation that we've seen in many many games at this point uh between a hakan player and a Jolnar player yep. um, where they can both make each other filthy rich right. uh, in both trade goods and, of course, tech. Yeah. Um, it's come up so many times that it's kind of just developed its own term. Yeah. Uh, I would say a lot of games with Hakan and Jolnar in them now sort of revolve around that relationship because yeah. it's just been discovered that it's such a fruitful boat float thing. Yep. That there's, I, in my opinion, no reason to no. not do it yeah. if you are playing one of those uh, uh, players. Right. Um, the only trick is, you know, how long you're able to maintain the boat float and when does the boat float end, yeah. really. Um, but yeah, this is more, yeah, catfish is uh, is when you are in a game with Jolnar and Hakan and they are cooperating a lot. Yeah, this one was nebulous to me for a while because I was trying to suss out if it meant a very explicit form of strategy. And it doesn't, so don't don't think too much about it. It's literally just, it's when when Hakan and Jolnar are in the same game, they're probably going to work together in a lot of ways. Uh, and yeah. so they are the, it, it's really more about the idea that they become one faction and one of the two of them will probably win the game because they are the catfish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Less like a specific I mean, tactic that they're employing. There are there are formal. I mean, we could break this down even further sure. if you'd like. There's a I lot mean, there's of things like, that happen within catfishing. Yeah, I mean, research agreement uh, being sold uh, specifically just to Hakan, maybe even twice in a round, mm -hmm. is something that happens a lot. Uh, Hakan using uh, their agent, uh, e-res being like right. used. Uh, th it's just because really, it's just we're talking about the two factions that have the most potential money like right. idea of money yeah uh and so therefore their deals can just get so much further out of control right right i well, mean well it's the thing of like you got to spend money to make money so they have more starting fun like the, you know you you, you mentioned e-res siphons the simplest way to explain that is like hakan can get very rich which means hakan can like invest more in tokens than maybe a normal faction could and it right. might be worth it for them to 
routinely activate Jolnar while Jolnar has e-res siphons. So Jolnar just makes four bucks. Hakan's down a counter, but then they get like research agreement every single time they do that. And the, that's just like they're ultimate boat floating. Like they're, you're not losing any value from either party because you had the funds on the front end to make all that happen. Whereas someone like Yin is like, I can't even afford the token right now to like do any extra stuff. I, I don't have the extra way to get into that. So yeah, the two are just like so rich that they can make each other even richer and richer and richer. And it, it yeah. gets really out of hand. All of that falls under the umbrella of something, Hunter, you said it in there. Another term is boat floating. Uh, this is, you know, a, a rising tide floats all boats. This was popularized is, by Janor. Yeah, Janor. Uh, in the first year tournament, He in our interview with Janor, he talked about his style being a boat floating meta, and that term really caught on. Um, it's used in all sorts of things anyways, but like Janor within the Twilight Imperium sphere really solidified it as a style, which is to say, like, I'm not here to, like, cancel your secrets i want to help you score an objective so that you help me score an objective so that we all get to and, and there's a lot of people out there that believe that twilight imperium is like explicitly a bloat a boat floating kind of game that like the best strategy to employ is boat floating because it will it's the sort of prisoner's dilemma sort of equation stuff where it's like it's going to always end up being better for two of you to improve each other's lot in life than to get in each other's way or whatever I mean, I personally think it's okay to not boat float in Twilight Imperium. Um, however, uh, I will say, and I kind of, w I've been in a lot of games where I was like, I kind of wish that we would switch gears a little bit because yeah. what ha what happens a lot of the times is two players will be boat floating and it's pretty obvious that they're specifically floating each other's boats. What I don't understand is how the other players don't also do that. Right. Like, it's like, if you recognize that two players are boat floating, like if you're playing against the Catfish, for example, right. uh, Hakan and Jolnar, then you should be boat floating too. To. Yeah. Like, it's the only the, way you'll the, keep up. Exactly. Like the second you see it happening, you need to recognize this is a boat float game. So how do we how do we all float now? Because right. that's the only thing that will that if you feel like boat floating happens too much or if you don't like boat floating, the only way to neutralize it is to respond to it with more excessive boat floating. Yeah. And then that if if we kind of got to a point where that was very common, a reaction then maybe the boat float would, when it starts, there'd be this kind of consideration of like, well, how much heat are we going to get for doing this? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of boat floating, the ultimate, the final form <laughs> of boat floating <laughs> is when we get into this next term, which you'll hear us call the dark arts very often, but also you'll specifically hear us say Magi's Gambit. These are two slightly separate things. I would say uh, Magi's Gambit is the square that fits inside of the dark arts rectangle, right? Sure. Uh, so dark arts is the idea of any, in a final round scenario, uh, you can sometimes enter into pacts with another player where you make sure one of the two of you wins. Uh, this is some things, uh, some people think that this is disgusting and that this is that this should not be allowed in Twilight Imperium, but I think Prophecy of Kings has forced us all to accept that this is unavoidable at this point. We've had right. many episodes about uh, win making, which we're going to define here in literally just a second. But uh, this is exactly that. This this is this kind of thing where you're you're both getting. Actually, let's real quickly define those things so that we can better define Magi's Gambit and Dark Arts. Win making, many people know, and hopefully you've listened to previous episodes of ours. It's also called king making. We've choose to kind of degender it and say win making, and it's literally the act of basically giving someone their final point uh, for no gain yourself. Like you are giving away the win. There's nothing else that needs to happen because you're not getting anything out of it because they will win the board game before you could 
uh, incur any of your own. I can't benefits. believe you're trying to slyly just define win making. I know in it's this a whole no, it's, as if I, you're going to get away with no. just having like a very simple definition. It's not of it, simple, Matt, and I'm like, trying to just be. I'm. Tr I, I. Here's how I'll word it instead. The most pure version of win making is giving someone a support for the throne while they're on nine points. You've win made. Them. Okay, that can Fair. be extended Fair. into infinity. <laughs> basically yeah right there's there's and and oftentimes people want to claim that i mean everything is win making right. and nothing is win making sure. uh it's it's uh i don't know we yeah we don't even we don't have time for that um win slay or do we want to define we don't need to define we, we can come back around win to win slaying but win making yeah, okay. so so win making understanding win making helps you understand magi's gambit magi's gambit is essentially something like um I can do something that guarantees you get a win if you let me do something that has a percentage chance of giving me the win. The idea being like, listen, I need to score this secret. And if I score the secret, I win the board game. If I score this bombard the last infantry, I want you to leave that infantry on that planet. I will come bombard it. I might miss that bombardment roll. I'm only bringing a single dread with one roll. If I miss... You'll win the game because I'm going to give you whatever you need. I'm going to give you 10 trade goods for the objective or my support for the throne or whatever. Yeah. But to receive that, I want you to at least give me my shot. So what you've done is you've taken the game from each of you having a one sixth chance to win and you're turning it into the two of us could have a 50% chance to win. Kind of. I mean, you the math could get way more disgusting and there's a lot of no. times where Magi's Gambit, somebody's like, actually, it was way more in one person's favor than the other. But that's what a Magi's Gambit is, regardless of how you feel about it. <laughs> that We're just defining it today. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think it's... I think you summed this one up. Uh, I'm I'm not, yeah. I'm not even sure what I could really add to it. Uh, dark arts in general is just like when you get to the final round and people sort of I would say take control of the game yeah. and say that you know maybe we can redefine uh, what the outcome here will be. Maybe we can make it just uh, it's either me or it's you right. kind of deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's the, the, I would say dark arts encompasses way more than even just a magi's gambit, and sometimes it's a three player thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of ways that involve. Uh, various ways of impacting the board in a non just like strictly mechanical way uh that's where win slaying comes in too a lot of time dark arts is like listen if we work together to cut someone else down we can improve the two of our lot and our lot alone uh and win slaying is again similar to king slaying it's the same thing but we've degendered it uh and win slaying is like so and so will win but we've taken such extreme actions to to do it i mean i would say that this is like a thing you're supposed to do in Twilight Imperium. Like the, a, a win slay is just stopping someone else from winning. It's it's as simple as that. Yeah, you should stop, you should uh, stop whoever's going to win. You should stop them from <laughs> winning so that maybe the game will go longer and then you will get a shot at winning. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a lot of win slaying uh, in competitive play. Uh, I feel like casual play does not need as much win slaying. I've been in a lot of situations where yeah. uh, it's like, am I going to win slay or am I going to accept that the odds of me winning are really, really low now, very, right. very low, and I don't need this game to go another two hours right. I just because I have something care. else to do. Yeah, <laughs> there's not always there's not always a lot of energy to uh, win slay. I promise. I've I've been criticized even recently for not putting in enough effort into win slaying, but it's because the game I need the game to be over. Yeah. I have other things I have to do. Right. Um, I promise you, if uh, I got to play in tournaments, which I'm not allowed to, <laughs> uh, 
I you would you would see me play the game very seriously. Right. I mean, I would I would win slay till it was done. Yeah. I I would I would never stop trying right uh, until the game was was uh, surely uh, over, right. well and over, right. and actually over. Um, but yeah, if I'm if I'm playing a casual game or even I'm playing an experimental game for the show, you know, it's like at a certain point. I do feel like you have to say, well, you know, I think my odds have gotten pretty bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The next one here we've got is uh, what you'll hear people refer to as mind control. Uh, This one is, I don't know, this one's almost maybe a little bit nefarious or like a weird accusation. But basically, uh, it is just a way of saying that one player has really gotten away with deals they absolutely should not have gotten away with, uh, whether by being very good at making those deals sound better or right. just doing enough things like kind of under the table that they in, in in the whole of it then end up getting away with way more than they should have when they've mind controlled the whole table into just like letting them get away with a lot. Yeah, sorry, I'm going to criticize the community a little bit here yeah, real quick. Exactly. Um, we already had a term for this and it's called used car salesman and I don't like um, mind control as much. <laughs> uh, used car salesman is putting the the uh, the blame on the person doing the thing. Mind control makes it sound like the other people yeah. are making a huge mistake when actually it's that one player is a used car salesman right. and used car salesmen do succeed in their tactic a lot of right. the time. <laughs> right. So like it's, I, I don't know. Mind control makes it sound like, uh, well, these players, they're just like, they're, they have no agency or whatever. And it's like, no, they're just, they're being sold what they think is a good deal. Right. And you disagree, right. you know, right. I'd rather call attention to, how good the used car salesman is than the fact that oh these players are being mind controlled it's like also the tournament is a very weird this this gets you this gets thrown around a lot in competitive play right we don't generally say this in a casual game um but i just feel like a competitive game is a very weird scenario Mm -hmm. that a lot of people uh have never done before right you know what i mean some people are have been in all four tournaments and they're you know they they have they're used to this scenario but a lot of people aren't and it's also six strangers they're just from random metas where they have all kinds of different ideas of the value of certain things and sometimes in that clash i think the audience will kind of be like well this is mind control and it's actually like well no like I bet if you saw this person playing in their normal meta, right. this actually is, seems kind of normal to them. Right. Uh, and to you, it just looks like mind control. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't, I, I feel like it has a negative connotation that I just don't get down with. And also like, it's not, it gives too much credit. You know what I mean? Right. They're not magical. Right. It's like, it's, I don't know. Used car salesman was a better term. And I feel like we could just go back to that, you right. know? Right. Uh, next up is double docking. Uh, this one's very simple. It's two space docks or more in, in a system. You can triple dock two in the Argent home system or the uh, Hakan home system. Uh, but this yeah. one, this one's difficult because it used to be a big deal in base game, but then some structure objectives came out that made it very important to spread out Ruined structures it. across mm-hmm. all different uh, planets and systems. Uh, so and especially and outside, outside of your home system, system the yeah. main place anyone ever wants to double dock is in their home system with two planets because two planet home systems or three planet home systems are less defensible so in double docking them you can make sure infantry are always getting down on both planets but now you very often need three not very often but you there's always a risk of needing three structures outside a home so you end up putting space docks 
all everywhere else and we don't see double docking nearly as much as we used to but i kind of think maybe just i've been really favoring construction recently and just like you know what if at any point one of those objectives could come up and i could just be taking construction more often and making sure construction gets taken more often and if i'm a faction that needs the double dock at home i just want to do it i think about this with nasroka hmm. all the time i just think nasroka sure. should double yeah, dock yeah. their home system that it makes them a better faction to do it and you just should get it out of the way yeah, I think, though, that it is that kind of thing, like where it's like a very specific yes. uh, scenario right. where it would be recommended at this point. I don't I don't really like it. Um, yeah. I think like I think also like Sling Ray has made it where That's forward true. docks are like really more yeah. you get more value more quickly yeah. uh, in a way that, you know, you didn't before because it's like, oh, you got to get the dock out there and then and then you got to spend the money or whatever. But now I feel like. A forward dock i might never build out of it traditionally but if i have sling ray yep. i probably got some key ships and some key spots right. like i'm i'm okay with that yeah. you know that's true uh next up is a term that we could spend way too long on and uh we have because we had an entire episode about <laughs> like objectives and speaker control uh and speaker mm -hmm. control is something that really happens game long these days but is especially relevant in like the last two maybe three rounds and it's just trying to make sure that you have the speaker token in round five there's a ton of ways to go about that, but it's like taking politics, maybe selling speaker token backwards so that then you can take politics again next round. Again, we did an entire episode about this. It's episode 194, speaker order. We did an entire episode about manipulating speaker order for the whole game, and all of that falls under the radar of speaker control. And it's just a very, very important thing, especially in Prophecy of Kings. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, it's, in competitive play, it is paramount. It's something that we will talk about all through the game. It's like a it's like a mini game happening on top of the regular game, mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it it is. Uh, I mean, some people think it's kind of a bummer that it defines the game so much. Um, I think that it at least kind of structures the drama. Yeah, in that where once we start seeing where the speaker order is going to be for round four and round five. Things start getting uh, really spicy. I will say, though, that I think it's been a little looser lately mm -hmm. than it, you know, than it was maybe for a while. We've seen a lot more wins in round four. It's harder to, like, plan exactly your speaker order that you want. Yeah. Um, also, like, it's become more popular to sell the speaker token, right. which means that it's harder to sell it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's sort of like what I was talking about with boat floating. If everyone is selling the speaker token then how can you sell the speaker yeah. token to anyone? Like <laughs> we were having this discussion just in the game yesterday. There was a moment where it was like, do you, you know, do you want to buy the, the speaker token? And really the real answer is the person should be like, no, I'm not going to buy it because it is literally in your best interest to give it to me so that you can take it next round. It does everything better for you. It actually does me more service for you to take the speaker token this round. And then you have to take politics again next round so that uh, you're yeah. second to pick instead of last to pick next round. It gets very complicated. I don't want to get in the weeds here. We're just trying to define oh, it. Okay. But well, like, I, I see your point, Matt, what, what you're making. I was actually making a slightly different point, which is that if I, let's say I'm, it's round three and I have politics, um, I could take the speaker token myself and then I will be uh, first in round four right. and maybe in a lot of new situations win the game. Right. Or do I give it to the next person uh, who then at round four will give it to the next person? Right. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's 
You're, the the math is all new because everyone is pushing the speaker right. to token forward. Yeah. No one is keeping the speaker token for themselves. But also, you now have to balance this with, and I win in round four. Right. <laughs> so to me, that's enough variance to where it's actually kind of unclear what you should do with the speaker token. Whereas for a while, people were talking about it as if it was very obvious and yeah. it was very nebulous. I agree. I agree that a lot of the time... Uh, paying for, in air quotes, a speaker token is just merely a formality, and I'm not sure why yeah. anyone does it, uh, because there's really... But then, I don't know. The other thing, too, is like, <laughs> what are you going for with it? Yeah. So I, I think, I think this, this conversation is what makes it so perfect a thing that needs to be defined, because it is, it is so uh, not solved yet. So when we're talking about speaker control, there's always this air of like, but I don't know, anything can right. happen, so it's, I don't know what you're getting away with. It's hyper relevant to a victory, but mm -hmm. when you're in the game, it's actually pretty unclear of where you should get it. So like in, it always appears that it was very important yeah. in the win, but also kind of like you have nebulous as far as the right decision. Right. So that's why I think it's okay because, you know, I don't know. It's sort of like, yeah, any win is going to be defined by where the speaker was. That's almost entirely yeah. true. Um, but it's, not so solved that it's always clear what to do with right. it well because the next like. person basically can always counteract what you did basically i mean no matter yeah. what like you could do one choice and it causes them to do a different choice so there's no right answer one it's just two mm -hmm. different paths you want to decide to go down and hope that one of them works basically yeah uh this next one is an old term uh at cheesy bread Cheesy bread, this is just a fun story, basically, but there's the cheesy bread goes a long way. You could say cheesy bread and cheese comes from like uh like video game stuff, like you cheese a game or whatever and you do something really janky. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people do that. We explicitly talk about cheesy bread for one strategy. <laughs> it was coined because when we did a barony of Letnev guide, uh, a player named Imson submitted an idea for a barony of letnev strategy that was to get fleet logistics round one and use diplo very often to uh use diplo like take a system and immediately diplo it on like the first action of a thing or whatever yeah, and just yeah. that idea of like barony and fleet logistics and diplo go hand in hand it's a really good sync you know good synchronicity or whatever uh but it's called cheesy bread because in the 2019 semifinals in tournament one in tournament one imson uh joined a game a different game because we pulled a player from a game to come play in a tournament like they had just started uh just a looking for group game on the ti4 online discord and we were like oh we need we need a player and this player was like oh i just joined this game but i could abandon it and it was like well that's really rude of us to like steal a player from this game so let's make sure we get a player to fill that spot and that player was imson and the payment for Imson jumping into this game when they weren't planning to it was we were going to buy them cheesy bread. And Imson lives mm -hmm. in a Scandinavian country. And in their in their last semifinals game of the tournament in Norway, thank you. Uh, they in their last semifinal game of that tournament, uh, Hunter ordered uh, some cheesy bread delivered to their house. So somewhere in Imson's uh, knockout round of that game, I, I would love to find the time code of it. But there's a moment where you hear Imson go, "Wait, someone's ringing my doorbell. Hang on, I gotta." I don't know what this is. I have to go answer the door. And uh, it's his cheesy bread. The promise being finally delivered. And so when he coined a very cool strategy, that became the cheesy bread strategy. Yeah. Um, the other thing about it is that cheesy bread is really expensive in Norway. <laughs> um, and I paid for it out of my own pocket um, because there was no, we did not no really have. Yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, there really was no funds. Um, so, and you know what? I'm realizing I forgot to tax deduct that um, from <gasps> oh, that tax no, that year. year. Wow. So that one kind of hit me twice now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> oh, really wish I'd remembered the, to deduct that one from my taxes. I mean, I, it was international, so I'm not even sure how that works. I, I, anyway, that actually reminds me. I got to talk to my tax guy ASAP because it is <laughs> April 9th. <laughs> Uh, the last one here uh, is nibble, a little nibble. This is a necrovirus strategy, and this is any version of, like, I want to get technology for very, very cheaply. I'm I'm necro, and I get tech by killing units, but I could actually make this not that expensive for you. I don't need to make our two giant armies fight. If you send a destroyer towards me, I can pay you for it, and then I nibble on that destroyer, and it lets me get some tech. Cool. Um, yeah, that one's really straightforward. Not even, I mean, it's just a cute, you know what it is? It's actually some, some propaganda yeah. <laughs> uh, by necro players right. to just make it sound like not that big of a deal. Right. Um, that's some propaganda that me and the other necro fans agreed nibble. upon way back in 2019. There was a meeting of the, uh, Illuminati of the necro virus. Yeah. I was invited. I am happy to say, um, and we all agreed on nibble being the propaganda terminology. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then, and then now that's in common parlance, uh, which was our whole point. I mean, it's kind of a Orwellian thing that we've done here. The Freemasons won. (laughs) It's kind of an inception thing that we've done here with the word nibble. Well, let's take a break and let's get to, God forbid, we have even more, uh, complicated terms to define here Mm -hmm. in this episode that we thought would be a quickie. Oh, well, let's take a little break. All right, welcome back. Uh, our final category for this glossary of Twilight Imperium terms is just more meta terms, even more outside of like specific yep. strategies. There are concepts within Twilight Imperium that we're sort of always discussing. Uh, the first ones to introduce are sort of tied together, and it's a big thing for commentary that we talk about. So when you're watching our games, I think this is especially relevant because it's the main thing we're probably analyzing. It kind of ties into the speaker control from earlier, but it's tempo, and you'll hear the term (laughs) guac thrown around. So we're going to have to define guac here real quick. Uh, And (laughs) I don't think Hunter is thrilled that we're still using the guac term. Yeah, I was not in favor of it when it started. (laughs) I'm still not in favor of it. Um, It is deliberately confusing to the audience, and I think a travesty. Uh, that it has succeeded in common parlance. Uh, I will be. Um, I, I will not be participating in this uh, discussion. So Matt, if you will define <laughs> quack, and then I will rejoin the Discord when call whenever you are done. Yeah. Okay. Bye, Hunter. Uh, so, so quack is this. And we again, we've we've had episodes in the past that have explicitly talked about this concept. But quack is your tenth point, with the assumption being. You can score five stage one public objectives for five points. You can score three secret objectives for your eight points. You can do a support swap or a marriage for your ninth point, but then you're kind of just locked out because stage twos can very often be incredibly difficult and you don't necessarily assume you can do a stage two. But if you can find a guac, then you have a very clear path to 10. Guac stands for guacamole. The guacamole's on the side. Everything else is the chips and the salsa and the queso that you need, but guac is a little bit extra. It's a completely stupid term, and I recognize that, but it's relevant to tempo. Tempo is that sort of pacing to get to 10 points. Guac is a custodian grab. It's 
playing Imperial while you're on Mechatol Rex. It's agendas that are worth victory points. It's the relics that are worth victory points. All of those are form of guac because it's an extra point you found that makes your path to 10 that much easier. Yeah, I'm back. Hey, uh, I hope you did a good job uh, defining it. Um, if you didn't, that's also fine. Maybe we just shouldn't use that word anymore, you know? <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't just make a random food association that barely makes sense uh, to a critical point mm -hmm. and a complicated one at that. I've been wanting to call um, it a so tempo yeah. point, but then I realized tempo point muddies the water with just the concept of tempo, which I think is maybe even more important these days, because honestly, the stats have shown that stage two public objectives are relatively doable like a lot of games are one off of stage twos more than i would have even thought if you'd asked mm -hmm. me before we were collecting data on the qualifiers i would have said like most games are one off of someone who got guac and all that but that is not true most games are one off of uh stage twos i believe i don't know the exact numbers but i, I believe it has come to be that stage twos are pretty important but tempo applies to the concept of like you want to win in round five you can win in round four if you get ahead of things. Uh, but the idea is like you should score a public objective every single round and you should probably play Imperial once to score an extra public objective within the round. And then you should score all of those other important points, you know, within that framework so that you can win the game with perfect tempo. You would win the game uh, status phase round four, basically. And more commonly, something slows you down and you win in round five. I would say even you could consider round four wins ahead of tempo and like an action phase or status phase uh, win is a on tempo win. Cool. Um, what is the doomed player map? This is a this is a Duke Lucum term actually defined in some of their uh, conversations they did on the other discord. And the doomed player is the one who is too far behind tempo to be relevant anymore in a uh, win making conversation or anything like that it's a player who literally you're out you're out of the game you could not score fast enough to keep up with any of the other players and a doomed player's number one goal is to doom everyone else and make the game go longer but usually i think doom player even refers to the idea that like you can't even stop everybody you're just dead in the water and you're watching the game get away from you yeah, I would love to do an episode on how to play as the doomed player yeah. um, because honestly, it's not something I've thought a whole lot about, um, but it is definitely a situation that you see decently often. All right, Matt, Mechatol Oasis slash Desert. What is that? I don't even understand. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a map building thing more than anything else, and uh, it's fairly simple to understand. It's Mechatol Rex is in the center of the galaxy. We all care about that. Uh, and depending on how you build the map, sometimes you can have like just a bunch of empty systems surrounding Mechatol Rex. That's a Mechatol Rex desert because then there's very little reasons for people to be adjacent to Mechatol Rex, which then makes the battle over Mechatol Rex generally less contestable. Whereas if you have a Mechatol Oasis and it's surrounded by planets, there's always a ton of action in the center of the table, either on Mechatol or even just like it makes everybody become adjacent to each other. A lot of times in tournament games explicitly, we will design maps with the intent to make more action happen. And sometimes that's through strategic wormhole placement. And sometimes it's through like creating a Mechatol Oasis to, uh, to force conflict. Uh, next up, Hunter, Give me, uh, give me that slice definition. Uh, so slice, Matt. Slice is pretty simple. I can define it really quickly. It's also one of the most basic Space Cats, Peace Turtles terms, one of the oldest. Uh, the slice is just the systems right in front of your home system, right to the left and right of your home system, and the one that's two away, but in between yourself and Mechatol Rex. 
Um, it's like a pizza slice or a pie slice. <laughs> um, the equidistance are things that are in between uh, your slice and your neighbor's slice. Uh, and those things don't belong to you. The idea is that your slice is sort of your expected projected influence. When someone uh, attacks something that is in your slice, that means something entirely different when then than uh, whenever they take an equidistant, for example, right. because you do not have a claim. You only have a claim to uh, your slice, those systems. Right. Um, and this next topic is pretty related. Matt, will you tell us what a land bridge a is? A land bridge is a sec essentially consecutive tiles with planets on them. Land bridges are being able to go from one set of planets to the next. This is especially relevant with like slow crawl factions, but like the Arborek loves a land bridge to be able to go from one system to the next and routinely snowball their way through their neighbor or whatever. A land bridge can very explicitly be that tile to your right has a planet and then the home system that's like going towards your right if they also have a planet to their left the two of you have a d direct land bridge between the two of you this is the most explicit of land bridges where it's just like you and i are three systems away with only planets between us and we could either of us like build up defenses and like work our way through each other sometimes also you have like a land bridge to mechatol right you you have nothing but planets on your way to mechatol mm -hmm. which means like going there using warfare to pull a token and then going to the next one is like a very efficient way to get to mechatol rex but land bridges are ways where you don't waste time just sitting in empty space this has become less of a big deal in pok because empty tiles are sometimes beneficial like det tokens are really good so sometimes it's not that big of a deal to like go park stuff there uh but land bridges are more important to stuff like we said arbrek sardak nor with gamma mama is like a huge deal why you would want land bridges so that you can easily shuttle infantry around without uh having any transport units or whatever so uh yeah Th those are your land bridges hunter donaldson what's a locked or unlocked fleet so a locked fleet is a fleet that has already been activated, uh, will not be moving. Um, there's a lot of exceptions now to a uh, mm -hmm. locked fleet built into uh, POK, but there's so few abilities most of the time you are either aware of them or whatever. Um, it They're kind of open stuff. There, there's never, there's hardly ever a, uh-oh, now this locked fleet is an unlocked fleet. Obviously, the really notable one is the action card, Unexpected Action, although mm -hmm. there's also Counter-Stroke, which does a similar thing. Uh, an unlocked fleet is, of course, a fleet that has not been activated yet. It has not moved. It might still do things. You need to be aware of the unlocked fleets. With the locked fleets, you can kind of count on them to stay there, except for those few exceptions. Um, and then the two surprise ones you just don't know about, yeah. you know, you gotta I play as, a, as if that's a possibility um, or what. But yeah, that's about all I got for right. Locked Unlocks Fleets. Uh, next up is what people will just say the one or the two or whatever. This is a really quick way to uh, especially talk about final round scoring order. It's just talking about your initiative order. Leadership is the one. Diplomacy is the two. And the big way people use it is to say, well, so-and-so wins on the one. So we got to deal with them first before so-and-so wins on the two. Right. And you're, you're just very quickly saying leadership is the first to score. So we have to handle that win slay first before we can then deal with the person who wins on the two win slay. Uh, just a quick way to get through the idea of scoring order and initiative order. So the next term is homework, um, which is pretty straightforward. It's legitimately just the stuff you do in the status phase, things like redistributing your command counters, drawing action cards, all of that basic stuff is just homework. This is a term that we got from Blarknob, uh, who would say at the end of every round, everyone do your homework. 
Um, it's something that mostly happens automatically on TTS right. or Tabletop Playground. Um, but in the real world, in the physical space, there's a lot of little stuff you got to do to clean up this game as you're playing yeah. it. So uh, yeah, it feels more relevant in the real life space, but still happens in the digital one. Yeah. Uh, next up is salt. If you look up uh, salt in the dictionary, there's a picture of my face uh, s sitting next to it there. Uh, and it's just a player who kind of loses their cool and maybe uh, throws the game in unexpected ways because they're doing bad strategy because they're salty and not playing optimally because they're getting mad. I think this is more a social term than it is even a Twilight Imperium thing. But we've all been there. We've all seen it. Salt is when you when you get mad uh and it's not you you lose your cool and maybe you should uh chill a little bit that's when you definitely need to like take a second and go sit somewhere else and come back to the game with a with a clear head uh, because being salty is generally not a good thing socially or strategically i want to suggest uh uh that we start embracing sugar um and sugar is when you're being really nice to yeah. the other players um almost for no reason maybe just for fun yeah just for fun do sprinkle a little sugar i would say big al games. is the the premium sugar, sugar player yeah. yeah yeah that's a sugar player for sure um the next term is clown fiesta clown fiesta is a tournament specific term uh you will not experience you <laughs> Dear listener, will not experience a clown fiesta without getting involved in our tournament yeah. rules, okay? <laughs> this one's an SCPT original. <laughs> a clown fiesta is when you're playing a tournament game, and uh, it's this, is, this can only happen in the qualifiers or the prelims thus far. I mean, who knows? Maybe we will add a time limit to the semis. We reserve the right to do yeah. so. Yeah. Not that we will, but we reserve the right. Um, you're running out of time. The time limit is up. At the end of this round, you'll go to tiebreakers. None of the players will get to 10. So instead of, you know, playing an honest game, <laughs> everyone just decides to try and all help each other get into the tiebreaker. So it's sort of like, it's like float your boat, but uh, there is no justification for it any longer. Uh, all the players just want the game to be over, and for some reason they've decided it will be most fun if the if the outcome is completely random and just in between right. uh, all of them via the tiebreak rules, which if you don't know them, it's just that you reveal stage one public objectives until only one person uh, can score them. And every time someone can't score uh, stage one, they're out. Right. Um, and so you have to consecutively score stage ones until you're the only one left standing, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's it for the silly clown fiesta. We, and we've seen many clown fiestas where someone should not have been in the tiebreaker, and they get into it, and then they win the tiebreaker, and that's a big whoopsie doodle on the part of all the people who just allow... But then, it's because of a clown fiesta, everyone's joking around anyways. Yeah, Matt, I would not say that there's... there. No. If they have left strategy at the door. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. If they've entered clown fiesta yeah. territory, then the idea is that just someone will... Who cares? Yeah. Someone will win. <laughs> like, you can't it, you can't come into the clown fiesta after it's over and be like, what? There was some sort of clown fiesta in here? <laughs> well, that's wild. I right. can't believe the outcome was weird. Really strange. <laughs> uh, next is you'll hear the term digging for. This one's very simple. It's when people, uh, especially when you like kind of have nothing else going for you and you start doing like digging for 
things in the relic deck or in the exploration deck digging through the frontier deck it's when you're just doing those sort of rng deck manipulation things of like i'm just trying to explore as much because maybe i'll find the shard of the throne or maybe i'll find a, a a specific action card like christ unto bethlehem it will just appear uh you're gonna go digging for that thing uh if you need that to happen for you yeah, um, that one's pretty straightforward. The next one is cardboard versus plastic. This is also very straightforward. Uh, cardboard is cardboard, and plastic <laughs> is uh, plastic. Yeah. Uh, just to define those really specifically. No, sorry, cardboard is just... Uh, there's lots of things that are made of cardboard in Twilight Imperium. Traditionally, when people say cardboard, they are talking about the fighter tokens and the infantry tokens. Um, so that's your cardboard units... Uh, versus your plastic units, right. which is uh, like a, a a dreadnought is always plastic. We have no cardboard for dreadnoughts. Right. Um, there are plastic fighters, and there's also cardboard fighters. Um, and I don't know. I mean, we've been talking about Cabal a lot lately, so in my head I have this as the specific context of when you capture an infantry, someone else's infantry as... Uh, cabal you do not get their plastic right. you gain their cardboard pieces their infantry tokens uh because otherwise it would be kind of silly if you actually got their infantry plastic because you are hard limited on yeah. infantry plastic by the way uh you only get so so many uh you do not get imaginary more which means that there's a hard limit to how many planets you can have infantry on at once did right. you know that it's right. like 18 right 18 I think 16 some, something like that something like that um, and yeah, that's your, that's your limit as if you would need ever, <laughs> ever need that many, <laughs> ever need that many, yeah. but yeah, it, it's there if you, uh, if you look it up. Yeah. Uh, next is also a tournament term that we do not, we very explicitly do not use anymore, but if you watch old tournaments, we used to do lay it, play it. This is essentially like a chess rule. Like if your finger leaves the chess piece after you've moved it that's it the move is locked in we used to do this uh in like the the first and or no the second tournament we were very kind of explicitly lay it play it and it was a nightmare uh lay it play it is bad and i would encourage you not to do it the idea being once i drop the command token that's it i've activated the system and anything else that needs to happen needs to happen uh but that removes a lot of the negotiation that Twilight Imperium is famous for. Uh, a lot of times you activate a thing and the person goes, wait, 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 I'll pay you not to do that. And that's an entanglement moment that we want to preserve. So lay it, play it is nasty. And it also makes a lot of things take way too much time because now instead of just kind of getting the thing out there and seeing if people respond to it, you have to be like, okay, everyone, I am considering playing this reactor meltdown. I have not played it yet, but I am considering playing it. Does anybody have a reaction to that idea that I might play a reactor? It just gets really disgusting, and you might as well allow takesies backsies to a certain extent. Yeah, honestly, I now kind of think about it more as not lay it, play it, but kind of like the end of your turn is when all those things wrap up. Like were were solidified to the extent that they even can be. Right. You know what I mean? Like that. It's like all these this this array of things. Uh, happened in this turn and uh that's kind of the i don't know that's that's the extent of lay it play it in in my head at this point right um, because before it's like we were trying to formalize a game that's far too random for it yeah um okay your next one we're almost done here is multi draft versus bag draft or i guess multi draft slash bag draft i actually don't really remember how bag draft works it's Matt, old so yeah it's, it's kind of gone and i don't even think it's worth defining but but we're like 
I guess the big thing is to keep an eye out for many, oh, many wait. drafting terms. Bag draft is like the precursor to multi draft, though, basically. Multi draft was somewhat built on the bones of bag draft. I actually do remember bag draft now. The way bag draft worked is each player had a bag, and inside the bag was like um, a faction or like a speaker position. Or wait, am I getting Frankendraft? No, no, no. No, it's, bag it's draft. That, yeah. Frankendraft yeah, was, was very explicitly part of bag draft. It was just even yeah. a more absurd version of bag draft. Yeah, so bag draft would just have like factions and then slices, like yeah. like hexes. Tiles. Sorry, not yeah. entire slices, just like hexes. And you would build like your bag basically as you were playing, and you would get so many of each option. And then at the end, you would have to commit to um, a bit of 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 the stuff that you had in the bag. Um, so yeah, that's bag draft. Not really as popular anymore as multi draft, which is uh, the tool that we use now in the tournament. And also, like, most of the time when we play, we use multi-draft. It uh, is a tool in uh, TTS uh, that will just generate a bunch of slice options, so a faction pool that you will select from, and then uh, the speaker order uh, is also selectable for round one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's multi-draft and bag draft. Yeah. Uh, th this next one is, Hunter just said it, TTS. You'll also see TTPG. You'll see IRL. A lot of people are going to be familiar with this, but if you're like hopping onto the TI4 uh, online Discord for the first time, you're going to want to know this stuff because it's how you search for games. TTS is Tabletop Simulator. TTPG is the Tabletop Playground mod that just kind of recently finished. It's like... 1.0 development and it's going to continue to grow over the few uh, coming years but it's a very very good mod irl is of course if you're trying to organize an in real life game you could also be keeping an eye out for lfg looking for game looking for group on the discord there's a lot of uh, specific terminology when you're searching for games online um, obviously of course if you're on the tr4 online uh, discord for the first time there are people there to help you learn this stuff and how to find games and how to get into comfortable games you should look up anybody who is a part of the academy the academy on the tf4 online discord is a great place to get your first online games going uh without too much pressure uh on you alone you can get a group of other new players and one person who's very experienced will sort of moderate the game for you and help smooth out the transition transition to playing in an online space uh hunter this last one i want to know if you know what it is because uh it's Probably the most That's nebulous hilarious. thing we have on this list. I've listed it here as the cages trumpet emoji. Well, of course I know about the cages <laughs> trumpet emoji. The cages trumpet emoji means ghost of Creus. Uh, and no, I got it. I shut up, shut up. I got it. And so it's because the ghosts of Creus. They play trumpets <laughs> in yep, the lore. That's it. That's They're it. all trumpeteers, yeah. I believe. That's yeah. some sort of official lore thing, right? <laughs> no. Why does cages do that? I Why feel, does cages do that? There's a part of me that emoji? feels like it shouldn't be explained and you should just, it just needs to be defined for you and the explanation should remain nebulous. I'll, yeah. I'll, here's, here's, here's what it is. Okay. <clears throat> there is, exists in meme culture uh, the doot. Do you know what the doot is? The doot doot? Like, there's the a doot doot. There's a there's a there's like a like yard war. No, nah, there's You're like a about doot 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 doot. No, I'm doot, not talking doot. about yard The there's a gif out there of a skeleton playing a trumpet. And he goes, doot, oh yeah 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 doot, doot, yeah yeah. And he plays a little trumpet. Yeah. And that also it's a skeleton. Uh, and skeleton uh -huh. is an undead creature. 
I guess. And uh, and ghosts, yeah. just in general, like Casper the ghost is also an undead creature. So in Cage's view, they are one and the same. So the skeleton duting on the trumpet could also be a ghost of Creus duting on a trumpet. And a common, uh, an easily accessible emoji for Cage's is the trumpet emoji. So apparently we have to all now suffer through the idea that anytime Cage's refers to ghosts, they will never say ghosts. They will just use the trumpet emoji. And I'm sorry that I have to be the one to explain this to you because I've never once seen Cage's explain it or even define it or do anything to make it easier. They just say, what do you mean? Trumpet emoji, trumpet emoji. You know, trumpet emoji. My favorite faction, trumpet emoji. So this is one of those things where, you know, like... When you hear a joke explained, it's the worst. Well, it's not really. It's this is more. This is slightly different because a lot of times when you when you explain a joke, it robs it of its uh, comedic punch. But what I've realized is that this just isn't even a joke. <laughs> right. This is just nothing. This is this is faffing about. This is this is the opposite of anything. This is it's having just, a laugh, isn't it? This is just. This honestly, the way I defined the trumpet emoji, mm-hmm. better than the actual yeah. connection. I agree. Yeah. And stronger. <laughs> and stronger. Um, this is just, yeah, you remember the skeleton meme that goes doot doot? Yeah. What if ghosts? What if ghosts? Boy, what an episode that was. We got through all the terms, Hunter. How do you feel? <laughs> I want to thank our weird bears, Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamishimu, Brassbird, Brian Kaluan, Dark Jutsu, Goondock, Ignoring My PhD, Carnal, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Bagels, Imlachevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky M44, Rwise, and Fancy Zeeling. And I also want to thank our mama's lovely larva. My son is also named Bort, Anvilir, Nerf Zerg, Tautology is what it is. Frank G, Gaskio, Rekka, Lord Raddington, Jim, Jadim Jedi, Elite Barbecue, Rolo, Uncle Batty. And Teddy's Jam for you. Hey, Galactic Council, we got a vote for you going on right now. Here are your four options. You still have a little bit longer to go on this vote, and it was tightening up last I looked at it. The first is uh, we are going to try once again to maybe play Spirit Island so you can introduce us to Spirit Island. There is also an overview of the now-completed com- Community Plays Twilight Imperium. It was a Discord server where everyone played TI as like a big mass, a big group, uh, so we could overview how that game went. There is also a guide to the SCP Discord where you can get more explanations like what is the cage's trumpet emoji. Lots let's, of that kind of stuff. Let's not do that one now. You know, can I actually advocate for us not doing that one? Um, I think that one might not have as much potential. Now that we've had the trumpet talk, uh-huh. I'm not sure there's that much potential yeah. in that one. Let's not do that one. <laughs> and the last one is Hunter and I play with the quote-unquote morning Euro crowd. That's people like Deft and Imson and Micmac moose and sam lee and these folks that uh, apparently play quite vicious games rather quickly in the european morning the added benefit being of course that hunter and i playing and i would be playing that at something like 1 a.m our time to get in on that group so kind of an added layer of nonsense uh for for that game uh and homebrewers guild this month you are uh designing leaders for us for six explicit factions and this is not an opportunity to get as crazy as possible. We're actually trying to take some leaders with somewhat boring, uh, some factions with boring leaders and try to maybe spice things up a little bit. And make them good. Make them good. And that's Arborek, the Barony of Letnev, the Federation of Soul, the Mentak Coalition, the Titans of Ul, and the Vool Wraith Cabal. 
Yeah. And you can rate this podcast on your podcast app of choice, especially Apple Podcasts slash iTunes and now Spotify. We have a website, spacecatspeaceturtles.com, where you can access our Patreon, our Twitter, our Discord. You can look at merch and etc. And please send us this Imperium Life Stories to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. Yeah, we are not going to do this Imperium Life today because uh, I have a tournament game starting, like, right now. So I do actually have to jet. That has to go. So this one, the exit, the getting, the dismount of this episode is just a cold, soft bye. Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>